We do not have to have all the answers. We do not have to solve all the problems ourselves. We need to enlist the brilliant minds around us and create the conditions where we can hear from all of them, where we can say like, oh, that's a fabulous idea. And now I, as your leader and manager, can go champion that idea. And I can get funding for that idea. And I can get backing for it. I didn't come up with the idea. And I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to give you credit, right? So that's a lot of it. And I think the longer I managed, the more I realized, really, it's about unleashing the potential in others. It's not about me being some genius leader at all. Welcome to Management Development Unlocked, where you will learn how to nurture a world-class management team. And now your host, Eric Gerard. Hello, and welcome back to Management Development Unlocked. I am really glad that you're here. I have big news. My book, Lead Like a Pro, The Essential Guide for New Managers, launched recently, and it's already an Amazon number one bestseller and number one new release. You can get your copy at Amazon.com or my website, GerardTrainingSolutions.com. Please remember to support the show by subscribing, commenting, and sharing. Today, I am pleased to have Minette Norman with me. Minette, welcome to the show. Who are you and what do you do? Well, thanks for inviting me, Eric. Yes, I'm Minette Norman. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. And after 30 years in the software industry in Silicon Valley, I am now a speaker, an author, and a leadership consultant. And I focus on inclusive leadership. Well, we are going to have a fun conversation. I can't wait. But I have to ask, first off, how does someone with degrees in drama and French and who studied at the Sorbonne get into tech? <laughs> that is the million dollar question, right? Well, it is a, a little bit of a long story, but I'll make it short. So yes, I did study drama in French. And yes, I thought I would be a famous actor when I got out of school, but that didn't really play out. And I realized how hard that life is. And I got a job using my French degree when I was in my early 20s. I was working at the French Trade Commission in New York. And it was when they first brought in IBM PC computers. And I found out I was good at figuring things out. And I was really good at helping people who were intimidated by technology learn how to use it. And it was that skill that I discovered in the mid-80s that got me into Silicon Valley because I then moved back to California where I'd grown up. And I got a job at Adobe in 1989 when they were developing Photoshop version 1.0. And I wrote the Photoshop 1.0 tutorial. And that's how I got my start in the tech industry as a technical writer. Right on. That is so cool. I remember in the early 80s, my dad worked for PG&E, which is Pacific Gas and Electric, the, the utility company in California. And they got one IBM display writer that it was this monster of a computer that sat in a corner of a public area of the office. And you had to book time on it. And it was basically, all it was was a word processor. But it was the thing. And I remember, you know, he would take me into his office on weekends and we would write my school papers on it. And that was, that was a big deal. It was. Yeah. It was. It was game changing at the time. It was. I got my start in tech not long after you got yours because I went to school in Sacramento and then came back to San Francisco and went to work in the financial district teaching people how to use their Macs and their PCs in 1992. So I remember all this and I remember uh, PageMaker and, you know, yes. all those funny programs that were all jockeying for position. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were using a program that I don't think exists anymore, but to, to do our pagination for, for manuals, something called FrameMaker. I don't know if you ever I came use, across I FrameMaker. FrameMaker, yeah. 
it was very sophisticated and it was like a million key combinations you had to learn to do anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't miss FrameMaker. I remember it was really tough. Yes. Yep. Well, that's that's fun. It's nice to have that have that in common, kind of to be able to reach back that far and say, you remember back in the 80s when we had modems? Exactly. <laughs> Well, ancient history. <laughs> that is not why we are here, but it's still fun to have to take a sidebar. So we are here to talk about how to create a safe and inclusive team culture so every member of your staff can fully contribute and do their best work. And based on that premise, my first question for you is what makes a great high performing team? Well, that's a great question. And it's a big question, I think, because there, there's a lot to it. But maybe in a nutshell, if I think about what makes a great high performing team, I think you have to first start with a team that has people with diverse ways of thinking and diverse backgrounds. So not a homogeneous team, because what's really powerful about teams is that you can tap into each person's unique perspectives and gifts and talents. So we want to have a team that is not a homogeneous team. And then high performing requires an environment where everyone gets to contribute, because otherwise, why did you bring them into this team? And so that means everyone gets to speak up and that their voice is welcome, that you know, divergent perspectives are welcome and different ways of thinking. And when I think about the highest performing teams, either I've been a part of or I've witnessed, those are teams where, you know, there may be actually a fair amount of debate and disagreement because we don't see things exactly the same way. And at the same time, that's part of the healthy team dynamics because, because we can debate ideas and we're not attacking each other personally, but instead really debating ideas, then the best ideas and the most innovative ideas can emerge. And I found that those environments, there may be a lot of debate, but there's also a lot of fun and humor and people can poke fun at one another and themselves, knowing that we are all in this together and we're trying to create the best outcome, the best product, whatever it is that we're building together. And it's gonna be, be, it's gonna be better when each one of us can really fully engage. And so that's to me the highest performing team. Yeah, I agree. And, and based on my experience, I would, ha I would have to go right along with you on that. Especially the piece around being able to debate and disagree safely like, yes. you know, if I, yes. if I push back against you, it's not a personal attack. I'm just, I'm trying to get to the truth. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to get the best outcome. And it's not about you, Manette. It's about the outcome and how do we get the best possible outcome? Yeah. And that sometimes takes skills that we may not all have right away. And that if we do debate, we can often attack the person. And so we really have to learn, like, how can we, we say, I, I have a different point of view. And is it okay if I share it? And here I go, as opposed to Eric, that's a terrible idea. You're an idiot, right? And we sometimes get that. And that, that often, that can be very dangerous in a team setting, because if we get it too often, then we start to just stay quiet because it's too risky to share those ideas. Yeah. And, and I bet we've all been in situations where it has not been okay to speak up, where pushing back was seen as career limiting. Totally. I've definitely been yeah. in those situations. Yeah, yeah, I have as well. And, and I know a lot of other folks mm -hmm. who have been there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, talking about the manager now and, and their mm -hmm. role in all of this, how does the manager foster a team culture for everyone to do their best work? Well, first of all, you're right to focus on the manager, and that's where I focus too. And it, it can be, you know, the first line manager who has a small team, and it can be all the way up to the CEO with, you know, thousands of people in their organization. 
the manager has such a huge role to play. Because as, as we all know, and certainly we read about, people stay at companies because they appreciate their manager and they leave organizations because they have bad managers. The manager is the most important role in a person's work experience. And so to foster an inclusive, high-performing culture, I believe the manager has to show up, first of all, as a human being who is curious about other human beings. And I know you, I'm very curious to read your book about being a new manager because too often people go into management because they're very good at what they do, right? I mean, I got promoted to my first management role because I was a good technical writer. And then I was suddenly managing technical writers. Well, was I automatically a good manager? Well, maybe I had some instinctive skills, but I had a lot to learn, as does everyone. And I think, first of all, we have to be interested in managing other human beings and really getting to know them and, and not just thinking that I can manage everyone in exactly the same way. So I believe we really need to get curious, get to know people, and then realize that one size does not fit all and try to get to know what is everyone's strengths and what are their areas for development or weaknesses and really leverage everyone's talent in the team to fill in the gaps where there are weaknesses and to leverage the strengths of the people in your team. And as a manager, you don't know that the day you come into the job. It takes time to get to know the people and for them to, to trust you and feel like it's safe to say, you know what, I'm not very good at spreadsheets, for example, and so I might need some help at that. And normally we just show up with like, I'm good at everything because we don't dare show what our weaknesses are. So I think it takes a very special kind of temperament that I don't have to be perfect as a manager, but I do have to get curious to get to know the people on my team. Yeah. One of the, one of the things I say a lot to my kids, as well as to people who work for me and people I teach, is that perfection is not required. And we're not looking for perfection. We may be looking for mastery. So my listeners will know that I'm a scuba instructor and I love talking about scuba. And, and one of the things we're looking for when we teach people scuba skills is mastery, not perfection. You don't have to do the skill as well as I do it, but you do need to be able to safely do whatever it is to keep yourself out of trouble or to get out of trouble once you're in trouble. But mastery, not perfection. Yeah, completely. And manage I mean, I think, unfortunately, there are these sort of standards of leadership that have been a long around for a long time where we think leaders must not show any weaknesses and leaders must not show mistakes or share mistakes and must not show emotions. And I actually challenge all of that because I think the more we show up as human beings in our full humanity, the more people will, will respect us and want to work with us. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And, and I, I grew up in an era where, for example, my dad was from that era of command and control. The manager knows everything. The leader knows everything. You never question the manager. And so that's how he ran his teams. That's how, that's how he ran the house. So that's what I came into the work world with. And it was a rude awakening when, you know, it turns out that nobody really likes a know-it-all. <laughs> and it was like, I, I got that, I got that corrected out of me pretty quickly. And I like to call myself a, a learn it all now. A learn it all. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good term. Yep. yep. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about managing people. So we've talked about how a manager can foster a team culture where people can do their best work. Let's now turn to what's challenging about managing people. <laughs> I could answer that by saying what isn't mm. challenging about managing people because people are so infinitely complex and not 
there are no two of us who are the same. And I think that does present a challenge to managers. I also think it presents a challenge, especially if you're managing, for example, multicultural teams or just very diverse teams, is that we come from our own perspectives and we are comfortable with the people who are the most like us. That's our affinity bias. And so it's hard for a manager to like connect with someone who's radically different, who comes from a different culture, who communicates very differently. And so I think all of that is really challenging. And then we are trying to project, you know, even if we're not doing the command and control, we are trying to project competence and some level of authority and at the same time be approachable. And like, there's a lot to juggle as a, as a people leader. There's a lot to juggle. And I think what we all need to do is to get very self-aware of how we're showing up because it can be really, we can be very unconscious about how we show up as leaders and fall into these natural tendencies to like listen to the people that we connect with the most easily and reward the people that we connect with most easily and either ignore or somehow punish those that disagree or that come from another culture or who we don't see eye to eye with. So it's very hard to, first of all, embrace all of this and then go, okay, what is my role here? How am I showing up in every single interaction? Because the reality is your employees are watching you as a manager and they're seeing you potentially as a role model, potentially as a negative role model. Like, I don't want to be like that person, right? So you want to really set that tone of, I care about the people in my team, I'm open-minded, I'm fair, I treat people equitably, I offer the same opportunities to everyone, I don't have favorites. There's a lot to consider. So I don't underestimate, I think being a leader is a huge responsibility. And at the same time, I, I don't ever wanna discourage anyone who wants to do it. I think we can help leaders, you know, one by one, learn to do these things. It's not impossible, but we just need to be aware of it. One of my dream gigs, would be to be invited in to talk to a group of high potentials who are being groomed for management or being considered for management or who are manager curious, you know, and, and run them through my courses and say, this is what it's like to be a manager. This is, these are the sorts of things you'll have to do. Now that you've been exposed to this program, what do you think? Are you still interested? And let people have, have some chance, some time to reflect on that and either opt in or opt out before they get promoted, before they get dropped in. And then they realize, oh God, like th there's a lot to this. Holy cow, I didn't sign up for this. I think that's a, so it's such an important thing and, and it's, it is a dream. Um, I had an opportunity to do something like that when I was, when I was in tech, I was an executive sponsor for a program for emerging leaders. And it was just this idea, high potential employees who could be potential leaders at some point in their career. And to be really honest with them on like, what does it entail? Because there's, there's a lot of it is just, you think, well, I have now, you know, higher stature because I'm a manager or a leader, but without thinking about what that means in terms of responsibility and it is a lot and we we have so much influence over our staff members experiences at work and especially i mean when we think about the last few years what what people have been going through in the workplace from the pandemic and george floyd's murder and all of the things that have happened basically since 2020 the manager's job has only gotten more complex i would say would, would you agree with that eric oh indeed yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that I'd like to say is that the manager defines reality. And I don't, I don't mean to put the manager in, in a godlike position, but as the manager, you're setting the tone, you're creating the culture, 
you're affecting people's daily lives, both inside and outside of work, because the alarm clock goes off and it's either like, okay, time to go to work or I don't want to go to work. And then you think about it on the way to work and then you get to work and you just grit and bear it. And then you come home and over dinner, you talk about your boneheaded manager. So there's, there's ways that you can show up as a manager so that people are like, Hey, I like my job. I like these people. I'm doing something important. Or you can set it up and grind people. And that's just no fun. No. And I managed teams for about 20 years of my 30 years in tech. And I will tell you, I really learned, I mean, some of it I did instinctively because I'm, I'm empathetic, naturally quite empathetic. And I love people. And I think that's part of it. Like, do you like people? That I think should be a prerequisite for being a manager. And if you were really good at something technical and you love doing that technical thing and you don't really enjoy spending time with all different kinds of people, probably stay doing the technical thing and don't become a people manager. But I love people and I find them fascinating. So I was always interested in that, but I felt like I got better and better over the years because I gained more confidence that so much of what we need to do as leaders is listen. Like we do not have to have all the answers. We do not have to solve all the problems ourselves. We need to enlist the brilliant minds around us and create the conditions where we can hear from all of them, where we can say like, oh, that's a fabulous idea. And now I, as your leader and manager can go champion that idea and I can get funding for that idea and I can get backing for it. I didn't come up with the idea and I'm not going to pretend I'm going to give you credit, right? So that's a lot of it. And I think the longer I managed, the more I realized really it's about unleashing the potential in others. It's not about me being some genius leader at all. And then you can free yourself to just set up the conditions, like set up a great brainstorm, set up whatever it is, a problem-solving session, and let the others really come out with their great ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Good stuff. Yeah, we're, we're very like-minded, I think. Are we? Yeah, yeah, very much. When you get the book, you'll see. You'll be like, hey. Okay, good. I will get yours. I, I could have written that. <laughs> All right. And my last question for you, Minette, is about inclusivity. And the question mm-hmm. is, why do we need to focus on inclusive leadership? Well, yes. And this is, this is now my life's work. And the reason I think it is so important is, is basically something innate in us in human beings that we need to fight against. And that is that we are drawn to people the most like, who are the most like us. And what I've seen too much in business is that we hire people like us so we have these very homogeneous teams, like maybe the same economic back, socioeconomic background, or the same, we went to the same university, we think alike. So that we need to fight against. But even more so, let's say we have gone to a lot of trouble to hire a diverse workforce, and we have a pretty diverse team. I think we must first really focus on inclusion because if we do not do that, what happens is that there is sort of an insider's group and an outsider's group. This is really common team dynamics. And often the leader is the one who sets the tone, like this is what we we think and this is how we're going to proceed. Are you with me? Are you against me? And the people who may see things very differently, who may have really different ways of approaching problems, solving problems, innovating, thinking of how to do work, they are not going to feel that their voice is welcome unless that leader sets the tone that, I want to hear from everyone. And what will happen is that even if you went to all this trouble to hire a diverse team, people will conform and hide their differences instead of saying, 
I have a different point of view because it will not feel safe. It will not feel that their voice is welcome. And really what inclusion to me is in the workplace is that you are appreciated, valued, and respected for who you are. And you do not have to conform to other people's views of how to behave or how to look, how to wear your hair, or how to dress. And also that you will have the same opportunities as everybody else. And what, what I saw too often is that the people who got the promotions or the stretch assignments or the sexy assignments or time with the executives were often the people who were exactly in the model of the leader. And you, it would be like, oh no, like for example, it's a male leader, okay, it's all men. Or if it's someone in the US, it's all people from the US, even when we have a very global team, because we're not really thinking of our whole team and all the amazing differences we have, we're not leveraging them. So that's why I think inclusion has to be foremost in leaders' mind if we are gonna create a really high-performing, innovative team that people wanna be a part of. And it's such a simple message that you, that you you put forward there with just making sure they're respected and valued for who they are, and that's it's easy to say. Yes, I always say simple. I want to be simple. I want things to be dead simple, but that doesn't mean they're easy, right? right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that was really really interesting. Let's turn the focus to you. Tell us about your book, The Boldly Inclusive Leader. Yes, my new book, The Boldly Inclusive Leader, just came out on August 6th, so it's less than two months out in the world. And I was thinking about writing this book even when I was still in the tech industry because kind of like you, I imagine, I realized that we do not help leaders become the leaders they need to be. And they figure it out on their own, or maybe they never do. And I felt like I want to write a book that is going to help anyone from the first-time manager to a CEO who's been doing it a long time do better in terms of creating those inclusive cultures that I believe are so critical. And I wrote the book to be really accessible, no jargon, a lot of my own stories, because I think people really connect with stories. And then I, I end each chapter with basically practices, because I know that you read one book or you hear one podcast and it doesn't necessarily change your life. But if you put some of these practices into, into practice day in, day out, you can affect really strong behavioral change. So every chapter has weekly practices and daily practices and reflection questions so that you can become even more inclusive as a leader. And it's available wherever books are sold. So, yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, I will go look for that one then. Right on. Thank you. Yeah, and if anyone's curious, I do have a sample chapter on my website, minnetnorman.com, or you can also go to boldlyinclusiveleader.com, and there's a sample chapter, so you can read a bit before you buy. Perfect. Good deal. All right. Well, let's move on now to the lightning round. This is where I ask slightly personal questions, nothing too embarrassing, just to, to help us all get to know you a little bit better. So you ready for that? Yes. Right. Do I answer with one word, or do uh, I give any explanation? You can explain. Okay. Just check. All right. First question. If you were sitting in my seat and you could interview absolutely anyone, living or dead, who would it be and why? Oh, tough one. I'm going to say Anita Hill. Anita Hill, because she went through so much hardship and scrutiny, and yet I think she turned in, she had such a successful career and continues to. I would love to interview her and ask how she stayed positive, even after going through what she did go through with the Clarence Thomas hearings way back when. Oh, man. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to share what I'm thinking of, but, but there was a really poignant moment where I just thought, God, that, how do you stand that? How do you, how do you deal with that? Exactly. I would love to talk to her. Yeah. So that's my answer for who would I like to interview? Okay. Next, what's your favorite vacation spot and why? This one, I'm going to have a wimpy answer because I don't have one favorite, but I'll tell you a couple favorites, Rome, Italy in general, and Spain and Barcelona particularly. Love them all and can't wait to go back. Oh, I so want to take my family on a European tour, a grand tour of Europe. Uh, spend a long time. I mean, we've spent weeks at a time and I love Italy. I love Spain. I just was in Portugal for the first time, which was fabulous. So yeah, more vacation in Europe for me. Okay. That sounds awesome. I'll see you there. Um, <laughs> where else would you most like to travel aside from the places you just, you just mentioned? So I don't have a lot of bucket list items, but one place that is on my bucket list is Egypt. I've never been to Egypt, and I used to love to read about Egypt and history. And so Egypt is on my list, and I will get there at some point in my life for sure. All right. And finally, what brings you the most joy in your life? What brings me the most joy in my life is spending time with the people I love. So my husband, my family, and my dear, dear friends. And I have friends, like I'm going next week to see my friend I've been best friends with since ninth grade. And that gives me so much joy to have friends for life. So that's it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Ditto. Awesome. Well, thank you, Minette. I have really enjoyed this. It sounds like we're, we're cut from similar cloth, which is really nice. <laughs> How can people? Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Remind us how can people find you? I am on LinkedIn and love to connect with people. And my website is probably the easiest way beyond LinkedIn, and it's minnettnorman.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, comment, share, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Pick up my new book, Lead Like a Pro The Essential Guide for New Managers on Amazon. We will catch you on the next one. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Management Development Unlocked. Want more? Get a ton of insider tips and tools at GerardTrainingSolutions.com.